Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. So hello everyone. Uh, welcome to a new winter. Today we're going to be talking about um, Hollywood Vice Squad, a 1986 movie. And here joining me today is, is my wife Tess. Hello Tess. Hello Sam. So tell me, did you uh, know anything about Hollywood Vice Squad before we uh, watched it? No, I don't think anyone knows anything about Hollywood Vice Squad. Police officers, freeze! Meet the most unusual police organization in the world. They're beat Hollywood Boulevard, the only X-rated street in America. Your daughter's a prostitute. If it can be done, you can do it here. Hollywood Vice Squad, rated R. It's a long way from Miami. Bet you have names for every part of your body, huh? Starts party at a theater near you. Um, Well, that's true. We went by the cover alone, um, which is basically a shot of Carrie Fisher... Um, looking a bit sexy, and then different pictures of uh, some of the different actors, all illustrated, doing things that I don't think they actually do at all in the movie. I think the poster is actually one of the best things about it in retrospect. Yeah, well, that's true. So yeah, Hollywood Vice Squad, made in 1986 by a cinema group, and apparently, well, it starts off. I won't get into the plot just yet, but it starts off with a, with a scroll that says it's based on actual cases. So, uh, true story, apparently. It's directed by Penelope Spheris, who went on to make uh, 90s flicks such as The Little Rascals and The Beverly Hillbillies. But, most importantly, she went on to direct Wayne's World. Yeah, you didn't see much of that uh, flair in this film. She also did Black Sheep, actually, which uh, I I quite like. Um, I heard that she was famous for loads of um, kind of punk documentaries. Yeah, so she did a, a trilogy about the LA punk scene called The Decline of Western Civilization, which I believe that she just recently toured around again as a bit of a retrospective. Um, and she did a lot with uh, Megadeth, and she was kind of on the metal scene a little bit. Um, but yeah, so she was, uh, you know, kind of music orientated, which doesn't come through on this film whatsoever. Um, it's produced by William Fay, who went on to be a big name producer on stuff like The Hangover and Independence Day. 
Uh, David Witts, an associate producer, went on to do stuff like Dunkirk and Star Trek, but as a production manager. Um, but the main producer was a guy called um, Sandy Howard, who was a, a kind of B-movie veteran. Um, and one of the, like, the long-running stories is that he was so good-looking, he was often mistaken for like the leading actor on sets. So, yeah, it, it does star John Travolta's brother, um, Joey Travolta. Uh, he plays a guy called Stevens, a henchman. Um, it's Robin Wright's film debut, first film she was ever in. And, uh, yeah, the reason why Carrie Fisher was actually in it was uh, she just got out of rehab. And this was, she's worried that she wouldn't work again. So she actually got this. And apparently um, she was supposed to be in Clue. And there's actually a scene where you see Clue playing in the background. But, yeah, she didn't because uh, she was a massive druggie. Um, so that's why... Uh, she's kind of the star of the film, but she's not really the star because she's hardly, she's hardly in it. So um, in a nutshell, before we go into the plot, in a nutshell, what is the film actually about? It's kind of like, I think maybe three or four set pieces that you think by the end are all going to link together and have some sort of storyline in common. They don't. Um, that kind of uncovers the the murky world of Hollywood um, in terms of porn, prostitution and drug rings. Yeah. Um, so the, who are the main characters kind of at play? Because there's kind of three, there's three stories going on, right? There's the, um, yeah, as you said, the Carrie Fisher one, which is basically about her busting some kind of porn ring but the reason why she's busting it is because it's never really clear but it seems to be because it's they're using underage kids i didn't understand that at all she discovers the porn ring whilst on a run so very action-packed run um and And she watches it for a while yeah and it uh, yeah i don't know what the I'm not even 100% what the illegality aspect of it was so someone just comes up and goes like hey this kid's got a be in school or something. It's not quite as apparent as that. And she's like right on the other side. She can't even hear what's going on. And then she just, yeah, when she comes into the, um, her boss, she's just like, I think there are, I think there are kids that are like 16 there or something. And it's this, it's this guy, like it's this kid that's teenage or whatever, just like dressed in these leather straps with these other like hulky guys. It's all like this weird fetish bondage, um, stuff, but it's not like that. You don't think they're doing anything illegal. And she actually goes really out of her way um, to kind of bust them. And I can't even remember how... It's sort of bizarrely puritanical and doesn't make any sense in terms of... I don't know what's illegal about about it. And I don't know why they're, like, that into, like, busting this ring out for no reason. Yeah, I think it's more that um, she's trying to, like, prove that, you know, it kind of starts with her being like, oh, she's just the woman or whatever. And then by the end, it's like, oh, she's kind of, you know, this is her case or whatever. But there's that, there's that kind of element to it. There's um, this mum trying to search for her daughter, um, Robin Wright, but at the same, who's like basically a prostitute, but at the same time, um, (laughs) like Michael Jackson (laughs) from Smooth Criminal mixed with Lionel, Lionel Richie, um, <laughs> is like trying to bust the drug kingpin, but he's kind of doing, he's like, Oh, we'll help find her, but, and we'll bust the guy. 
but then he just gets he doesn't even care about finding the girl he's just like oh let's just bust this kingpin so that's kind of the other story and the guy who actually um is the um i forget his name i've probably got it in the notes um the guy who plays like the big boss man was the riddler from the 60s um batman tv series which you might recognize him as yeah He's really good, actually. He is quite... He's got, definitely got a really like, sleazy character to him. Um, yeah, the sort of undercover cop aspect of it seems to pay almost no relation to the um, sort of young girl from the Midwest who's got hooked on heroin and turned into a prostitute storyline as well. And there's also kind of a strange underlying, perhaps, romance that's meant to be blossoming between the um, chief of police guy and the um, and the mum character, which never seems to go anywhere either. Yeah, so there's like the, one of the kind of running things with this film is each person kind of gets a scene where they're given a bit of backstory or a bit of character, and it has absolutely nothing to do with the rest of the film so carrie fisher's mum turns up and she's like when are you gonna stop playing a cop she says mom it's my career never it's not talked about it's never brought up again the weird romance thing between the, the like doesn't the the old cop go my wife is dead or something she's like how's your wife she's dead or something like really really matter of fact about it my work is my family Especially since my wife died about twelve years ago, um, which is which is quite funny. Um, but yeah, they each get this kind of like scene of like, yes, I'm you know like the guy um, Lionel Richie, like playing basketball with his kid. No well, relevance to anything whatsoever. Yeah. It's just like he's got a kid. And the wife that's in the house that you never see. She's just like, can get your dinner where it's hot. Yeah, it's just they couldn't be bothered to create another character, so she's just like a, a sentence. And then they've got one, one sort of like big henchman cop who's a bald guy with a ridiculous moustache who's, who's like humanising aspect is that he's got a daughter that he speaks to on the phone. Um, so I think everyone gets about two minutes of family development and then that, that, that's it. Yeah, so he looks like Charles Bronson um, when, I, when I look at him. But that's also another story that's taking place is that they're trying to like, they're working with this um, like small-time drug dealer to bust the big guy drug dealer, um, and yeah, that's some other weird kind of bust that's happening. No, that's at the same separate. Time. So that's what I mean. That's they're working separate. with a small-time bookie. Oh, is it bookie? Who's got some sort of relation with some sort of mob boss guy? Yeah. That storyline has absolutely nothing to do with the other big boss dude who's in charge of the um, prostitution ring. So there's almost like, and then there's also the the, the um, John Travolta's brother, who's paired with that, who's like got a wacky sidekick, and they go off on sort of like bizarre busts where they try and um, kind of arrest people in, and and wacky adventures ensue. And I think it's effectively just an excuse to shoehorn lots of car chases in. Yeah. Which, you know, isn't the worst thing. So it starts with a really, like, shaky, um, out-of-focus shot of L.A. And the credits come up, and it's quite an industrial um, 
sounding music that's kind of pumping over the top, which, and it feels like it goes on forever. It's just this one static shot that's out of focus and shaking everywhere um, of LA. And then it starts with, um, they're down Sunset Strip. Oh no, sorry, Hollywood Boulevard or whatever it is with the stars on Walk of Fame and all that. And um, there's the Asian guy. So another couple of characters is that, yeah, there's the, um, there's two cops, one of which is Asian, one of which is like a, he's almost like a New York kind of cop. That's John Travolta's brother. That's John Travolta's brother, right. And, um, and so he's like an ugly John Travolta in a hat. Yeah. And they're like the kind of comedy slapstick aspect of it. And they're trying to, um, they're, they're, they work in Vice, I take it. And uh, the Asian guy plays up to an Asian stereotype and uh, she um, holds him up. And then it, the weirdest kind of like chase ensues where immediately the first thing that Travolta does even because all they do is just drive off. He goes onto the pavement of the Hollywood Walk of Fame and starts driving, like he thinks that's quicker than going like via the traffic or whatever, um, trying to chase them. And then it's this weird uh, car chase where the the Asian guy isn't even touching the driving wheel at one point, steering wheel. And they're just, it's one of those things where it's like, how is, how's the car still going? Why is it like, what is the purpose drive and it's like well where why just hold him up and take the money where do you want to go um doesn't really make any sense yeah none of the moti- <clears throat> none of the motivations are clear it's like is it a, a robbery that's gone wrong is it um being busted for prostitution why why is there a knife why does it escalate within about 30 seconds if not less into a completely unnecessary car chase yeah um I also don't understand how Travolta knows what's even happened in the car. It doesn't sound like he's like mic'd to the guy up or anything. The car just pulls out and then all of a sudden he's driving on the sidewalk. This is based on a true story, remember? Yeah, based so on actual this is events. a true story. So yeah, and then it, start, it ends with a fight in the pool. Um, and it's the worst, it's not even a fight really. Bear in mind this guy just had a knife up to his up to his neck. And then he's having a conversation about how he can't save him because he can't swim. Um, and then we're introduced to um, the the old uh, cop who's who plays literally the same character that he does in Beverly Hills Cop as well. Yeah, I was thinking, oh, where do I recognise him from? And I looked him up and I think every single role he was basically like playing a cop in Robocop, playing a cop in Beverly Hills. That's just, that's just his thing. So that's when the mum comes in looking for the daughter. Um, and, yeah, as she's describing her as this, like, lost little girl, it cuts away to her basically turning tricks. And she's like, oh, she'll never... She's not like that. She's not on drugs. She's perfect and all this stuff. Um, and then, yeah, and then it cuts to this weird scene of uh, the um, pimp's place, basically. And his front of house, his receptionist, is this very strange... <laughs> sounds horrible disabled woman essentially who's in a wheelchair and she looks like she hasn't got any arms or something she's oh, like she's only got one arm did you read about who that actress actually is no so she's actually i think her name i want to say is bunny goddess um and she was actually like quite famous at one point and did 
um, this really amazing photography um, with a really famous photographer called Rick Owens. And she was also in a couple of music videos, the Dr. Dre one and a Marilyn Manson one. Weird. Um, so, yeah, but I read this really sad article, actually, that was on Vice, basically about how um, in her kind of later days, she was just kind of in an assisted living um, facility and was, you know, broke and kind of clearly in a lot of um, trouble and she obviously hadn't managed to sort of like parlay that moment of fame into something long lasting. So yeah, it was a bit tragic really. Mm. Um, yeah, that's a shame, isn't it? Um, so yeah, the next bit we have is Carrie Fisher, um, who's the cop and uh, she kind of um, entraps this man who's, he introduces his uh, penis as Frank or something and asks asks her to shake his hand. Um, and all that's quite funny. And there's a weird car chase where the guy's like hanging out the window for like a mile or something as he's being dragged across, um, across the strip. Um, and then, yeah, the guys are like, oh, you know, you didn't do anything basically to carry fish and she gets really annoyed. Then she's going for a run. When she goes for a run, she she oversees this uh, uh, porn shit that's happening in someone's back garden. So she's literally snooping, um, and yeah, she's watching it for a while. And again, it's this weird, like th- weird thing of like not really sure. You know, it's at, at one point one of the characters say, "This is like the porn capital of like the world," and she's like, "Yeah, but I think they're using underage kids." There's no absolutely. She's got that from nowhere. Um, all it is is that she thinks the director's just a little bit sleazy. So the captain uh, is Ronnie Cox. Um, that's his name. Uh, who was in Beverly Hills Cop as well. Uh, you might also remember him as, uh, is it Cohagen in Total Recall? Um, bad dude. Yeah, the bad, main bad dude. And he was also um, kind of a similar role in Robocop as well. Um, head of the company, I believe. Um, and yeah, Frank Gorshin is the head pimp and drug lord. And he was the Riddler in the original um, Batman TV series. Um, and so, yeah, there's there's a weird montage where the mum is walking down, you know, Sunset Strip or whatever, um, and there's actually a song which sounds a bit like Ariel Pink, which I quite like, playing over the top. So can you walk in But it's that cool. Sh- I love these shots of like, which they get in the seventies and eighties of like, you know, it's just they've just got in a car, or whatever, and just driven down, and it's this dirty kind of LA, and she's all like clean cut and stuff, and walking down whilst everyone's getting drunk, and it's all like, you know, loads of druggies around or whatever, um, and she's looking for her daughter, and uh, you know, there's one point where they almost run into each other at a hotel, which is a bit ridiculous, um, so. Whilst all that's going on, you know, I remember thinking at that point, what is what is happening? There is so much happening here. I can't keep tabs on what, what plot is happening, what I'm supposed to be. So confusing. But the the shots of LA, which were kind of showing this, I don't know, this like kind of gritty underbelly before it got sort of cleaned up towards the 
I guess, early 90s or whatever were probably some of the more interesting bits of the film. And when you read that the director had a lot of to do with the kind of like the sort of cult underground metal movement and and that sort of stuff, you do feel like, oh, this feels like it could have been such like a missed opportunity to to make something really, really cool and interesting about this sort of seedy underbelly. Yeah. Um, and so when, whilst all this is happening, another plot develops where um, one of the, you know, streetwalkers... Um, the, this pimp turns up and yeah this is the Lionel Richie guy and then you find out he's a cop and she's a cop and they're mates and whatever so we've been introduced to another pair of new characters in their own new plot which is ridiculous by this point um, and then they meet with the head cop guy um, the Robocop guy uh, whose name I've forgotten him I just said it a second ago and um, <laughs> Callahan. Callahan, yeah um and yeah, they just walk around in this, like, they meet on top of a roof. And then when they're actually talking about all the super secret stuff, they're just walking around this shopping mall. It feels like, so like, well, why did you meet on the roof? If you're just going to go to the not so secret bit to talk about <laughs> and they're just going up and down escalators. So weird. Um, and then, yeah. And then it cuts back to like Travolta and the Asian guy and they bust someone who then steals a tour bus. And then there's this weird, like slapstick action bit where the um, Asian guy jumps into the tour bus and he's trying to like kick him off. It's like, why did you pick a, why did this guy pick a tour bus anyway? But, and it's all, it's all played for laughs and you've got like old people clutching their faces and like a really, you know, a a big lady who's all like, Oh no, what's happening? And all this stuff. And then it's literally just this random scene where, yeah, they're just taking down this tour bus and that's it. And that's just has nothing to do with anything. It's just this random car chase scene. They had very um, sort of like weird sting operations where it kind of were just literal vehicles for stunts, effectively. And they had what well, frankly, the most overacting extras that you could ever hope to see stuffed onto a tour bus who seemed like they were all reacting to like completely different events. One guy was practically asleep. One woman was like the most excited you could possibly imagine. It was absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. Um, and there's a scene just after that where they've got, um, there's, there's a maid walking through this like motel and it's all quite dreamy and it's, it's got some cool music and it ends in Robin Wright, who's basically like high on heroin, I imagine. Um, and just as that one shot was probably my favourite shot of the whole film. Totally um, agree. Do you remember how it was lit? Yeah, it was quite, like, cool. It was dark, it was at night, but, um, yeah, and it was all one shot, and then, yeah, just the way it kind of focused on Robin right at the end in this kind of, like, haze. It was all really dark, but it was uplit by loads of different multicolours. Um, and it actually looked like it was intentional whereas the rest it put the rest of the film into really like stark relief which just looked like they'd literally just rocked up and filmed it like it they didn't look like there'd been any sort of lighting any sort of setting the scene and um, like we were talking about how they start a conversation in one place and seem to end the conversation in a completely different location even though it's only taken a couple of minutes of like time but like it was weirdly intentional when the rest of it didn't feel like it was. 
Yeah. Um, yeah, it was a bit Lynchian, that bit, actually. But it was also like, it was a bit like a painting. Cause you've got all these like different weird things going on around and each one is almost its own little story and characters and stuff. And only, I mean, the whole thing only lasts like 15 seconds, that bit. But um, but again, it's such a contrast from the weird tour bus thing we just had like moments before. Um, and then this is where the old cop is starting to, uh, you know, kind of get a bit romantic with um, the mum who's searching for the daughter. And by the way, that be- kind of begins and ends in this scene. It doesn't really go... I don't think it goes any any further in the rest of the film. I think that's just just ends there, unless I'm what, mistaken. That look, or huh? as in the cop and the mum. I don't think that goes anywhere. I think that's it. They just kind of flirt a bit, and that's that's. They have a scene in the hospital towards the end. Spoiler alert! But yeah, and yeah, there's this there's this weird like spate of murders as well that's kind of going on. And then linking it to Walsh, who's the you know the big pimp guy. We don't know if it. We don't know who these people are. Is it like I've no idea? So it's like, is, it, is he a serial killer? Is it like a drug thing? They don't really explain it. It's just like, oh, he's bad. He's a bad guy. Yeah, I thought it was like when the girls try and get out of the biz, then he kills them, gives them an overdose. I don't know where I've got that from. Well, that makes more sense. So I'm glad if that's that's right. You've missed what was. Probably after that shot, we talked about my second favourite bit of the film. Which was that? Which was where the really big, bald dude with the ridiculous moustache breaks down a door um, and he's wearing like a vest top and really tight jeans and he's carrying a cardboard box full of bouncy balls. And the big bust moment is that he just throws the balls all over the room. Oh, yeah. Uh, in some sort of, like, weird Tom and Jerry style, like, oh, my God, people are going to slip on the balls, which makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. Um, well, and they do. And they do. But even though they've, they've literally just seen him do it, which is it's just ridiculous, and they're like dog balls or something, so you wouldn't even slip over them anyway. It's a, um, it's a proper comedy stack as well. It's like, whoop, 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 as they're slipping through. Yeah, you expect them to step on a rake or something the next minute. Um, yeah, I forgot about that bit. That's quite funny. It was just so incongruous. That was, that was definitely a top moment. But uh, all based on a true story, you've got to remember that's that. That's true. And that's when the guy is like, hey, man, you've got to stop busting my chops. Because <laughs> I said bust my chops. <laughs> you've got to stop crashing, like, these things. Um, and he's like, oh, but, you know, we need to we got to do this because I've got to get the numbers in or whatever or something. And so they have this little like partnership where it's like, okay, well, look, let's work together and get this big bad guy who's completely separate from the big bad guy that we're kind of following, the Walsh guy. Yeah, this was another subplot that went absolutely nowhere. Yeah, it was really weird. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. 
So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Um, and then, yeah, so they... Oh God, there's, so, there's just so much that happens. So they they stake out this this porn place, um, and nothing nothing really comes of it. If I, if I remember rightly, they just kind of well, no, they're not really staking it out. They drive up to it. They're like, oh man, oh, what are you gonna do about this? And then they, do they hear a noise, or maybe they don't even? Yeah, no, they hear some very indistinct noises. Well, and... that's towards the end. Yeah, no, this is the, that's oh, it. Is it? This is it, remember? Because Carrie Fisher's in it for about three seconds. Yeah, but she, at one point, a bit later on, she goes, she sneaks in, doesn't she? That was beforehand. That was before yeah, the... Yeah, that's what I mean. So that's, I don't think that's happened yet. That was so. before the stakeout. Yeah, but she, they stakeout. She goes, Nancy Drew, renegade, and is like, I'm going to break into this place and see what's going on. And she finds nothing. Doesn't he have a phone conversation where he's like... Uh, bring the girls. Oh, yeah. He's like classic like, dirty gotcha. old man in a um, sort of fishnet wife beater accompanied by a suit. But wasn't it like a crop top? Yeah. He no, like no, no. I think, to I think like... he rolled it up. Oh, he rolled it up, right. Later. Right. Um, yeah. Again, no reason for that. And then all the male characters in it are universally unattractive and made to look even worse with a really, really, really peculiar wardrobe. <laughs> yeah. He's like, I've, I've dressed up for this porn shoe. I've worn a suit, but I'm going to keep it a little bit saucy because <laughs> I've got my fishnet, fishnet top on. Yeah. And there's another bit where they're like, oh, God, I can't remember. It's the big, bald guy with the moustache. And they're, um, again, they're trying to follow some drug guy. And then randomly in an alley or whatever, as they're going past there's something else kicking off and then suddenly they just take on all these these dudes on the side and that's the end of that scene. So that kind of stops them from following the drug guy because they got into like a little side fight. Is that the down last we alley. see of them? No, they come back a bit later. They come back a bit later. So that's um so so that's just happened. Nothing's nothing's really progressed, but stuff's happening. And then the Walsh guy, the Riddler, he um they're trying to set him up. So the idea is that, and this is the the big the big scheme, is that Lionel Richie is gonna, who's already like known as a pimp in the area because he's undercover, um, is gonna expand his business, and he kind of gets a bit threatening towards the Walsh guy, and he's like, I'm gonna buy, I want your girls basically, I'm gonna take over this territory or whatever, and weirdly you think that's surely like that's just asking to be killed or whatever, um, but no. Um, so they meet up and have this, they have approximately like four meetings about this idea. Um, and the first one is on the phone or whatever. The second one, the henchman turns up and then he's turned turned away to give a message back to his boss. Then they meet again to have dinner and it's all built up to be this like massive meeting. Literally the meeting lasts about 10 seconds because they sit, they sit down 
they sit down and it's something like, oh, um, yeah, I want, this is what I'm going to do. I want your girls or whatever. It's like, oh, do you want to buy them outright or not? He's like, oh, well, you know, I'll think about it, whatever. They're like, oh, okay, great, you know. <laughs> and they joke, he's like, that's, this is how I like to do business. And then he gets up and walks off. Yes, sir. Sit down. <clears throat> like a drink? Yeah, let me know it's got some water. <laughs> so, tell me a little about your business, sir. I deal in works of art. Only the finest works of art. I think I can be of assistance to you because I happen to have an outstanding collection of good pieces. <laughs> With terms. Uh, you could buy them outright or you could lease them, say, six months of the crack. You talk like my kind of man. <laughs> we'll do some business. Yeah. Art. It's like, what have you accomplished? What's I don't understand what just happened what in that scene. What have you agreed? Yeah, like nothing. You've literally just you've you've said three words to each other, and you're at a sit down meal in a restaurant, and that's it. And you just up and go. It like to have another meeting. So it's a pre meeting meeting just to make sure that they were in agreement with yeah it's like a chemistry meeting before the actual meeting to see if they could really you know do business with each other but at the same time i'm just like why is this walsh guy even i was expecting him to like get violent or like but he's just he doesn't do anything really um it was really strange uh and then so at the same time this informant now that's um an informant to the guy who's partnered up to the bald guy with the moustache. Um, he got beaten up. So he's like, I don't want to be an informant anymore. And they're like, Oh damn it. Um, and then that's when Carrie Fisher goes into the porn dungeon, finds nothing and just leaves. And so no, no progress there either. And then they, yeah. And then they have another business meeting about organizing to meet up again (laughs) So nothing, again, nothing's progressed. We're just having these series of, of meetings between these two characters. What did you think of um, Carrie Fisher in this? You could tell she was trying to kind of do as much as she can with what she was given. I found it staggering that she had been in Star Wars and then done this. Well, that was just it. Like, she, she literally thought she would never be able to work again. So that's why she took it on. She And she... I think she was in like a completely different league to pretty much everyone else in it. Oh yeah, but there was um, that. There's a, a book or a film, whatever she did, called Postcards from the Edge. Is that yeah, right? and in that, there's a fictional film. Yeah, that's this film. That's based on this film, apparently. Yeah, I think she plays like a cop or something in the right film, which is semi autobiographical. Autobiographical. Yeah, well, that's apparently supposed to be about this film. Um, then. Oh, God, just, I don't even understand what, what, what happens next, really. Um, then, basically, they bust down this porn place because they, they, I don't even, I think they hear something or whatever. They're like, oh, people might be in trouble. And they just basically beat everyone up. Um, but they don't even have, like, any kind of steady cam <laughs> or anything like that. So when they're running behind, like, Carrie Fisher or the other people where they're busting down this porn, you can see the camera going up and down with the cameraman like running it's just so so pony it's awful um and then yeah like there's fight scene and the fight there's a fight scene like in the dark which you can't even see and then there was that funny shot where um 
she like throws him out the window or something. And then one of the other cops is like looking down like, <laughs> well done or whatever. And you think he's like, <laughs> three floors up or something when he's not he's still on the ground floor yeah he's like behind looking, her <laughs> literally just looking down and she's just clubbed someone with a big stick like something oh, out right, of yeah. the Flintstones yeah and that's it and that's the end of that story so she got the porn guy there's no resolution there's, that's the resolution and it's, it's a strange juxtaposition as well because they're trying to make it all like this weirdy like grubby dirty porn thing and then it's like whoops uh we've hit over the head with a big stick and it's like that strange combination of like slapstick and sort of faux seriousness that's kind of makes it quite exploitative Mm. and incongruous at the same time yeah and she's like grinning over his figure on the floor um it's really strange yeah um, and that's kind of it for that bit. And then the cop... That's it for Carrie. She's, she's done now. now. She's not in that's the film it. again. You could cut her entire character line... Less than ten minutes, probably. ...out of that film. No difference. Yeah. Like the oh, right, the yeah. main plot of the film with the Robin Wright character, that's completely independent to yeah. the Carrie Fisher one. Yeah, Zero has, makes absolutely no difference whatsoever. It's a completely different story. Um... Yeah, at least like there's some of the others do kind of link up, but that one is completely, apart from the fact that her boss is the same boss. Yeah, it's just like this guy's got so much on his plate. He's got Robin Wright, he's got the Carrie Fisher case going on. He's a busy dude. And even then, he's just like, oh, just do what you want. Like, I don't, like, you know, you. why do you want this case? And she's like, I want it. I'm going to bust him. And she did, though she did it illegally anyway. So I'm. <laughs> Literally, they just they're like, oh, we have to get a warrant, and they didn't. They just bust in. So God knows how that would actually have turned out in a real court of law. Um, the cop tells the mum that their daughter's a prostitute. That's the big you know, emotional moment, isn't it? Yeah, um, the mum gets a bit upset about that. She doesn't believe it, but then she's very, very quickly changes her mind completely. <laughs> yes, as you would if that, if you knew that was your daughter. <laughs> Um, well, you know, when I think about it, um, and then yeah, there was a bit where they, uh, when the uh, informant guy who's just at home chilling, just being like, I don't want any part of this anymore, gets a visit from the big bad, and Simon Cow turns up to like intimidate <laughs> him, um, which was quite funny. Literally, guy with looks exactly like Simon Cow, the deep V, like grey sweater. Pulled up to his sleeves. Yeah, he was thick kind black of hair. One of the voiceless henchmen. Yeah. Um, and then the cops burst into the room through the window um, and it takes them ages to get up. It's like literally the most ineffective way of busting down <laughs> this thing where nothing's actually, you know, properly happened yet. They're just kind of, you know, scaring the guy. Um, yeah, that was quite funny. Uh, then, yeah, Walsh like hires a killer. Get someone he wants. Someone. Oh, I forgot about him. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's this like really weird, like sleazy-looking psycho. Yeah, guy. Um, and then they go to an, another meeting, and then this is when yeah, like uh, the Lionel Richie guy is dressed literally exactly like Michael Jackson in Smooth Criminal, like the <laughs> white suit with the fedora and all this stuff. 
He is the he's meant to be an undercover agent, and he is the most like flamboyant character you yeah. can possibly imagine. Um, and then to check that they're not all cops, they have to go upstairs and sleep with the prostitutes before anything could go yeah. any further. Oh, got them there, didn't they? Um, and apparently, if you touch them, if you even touch them, then that's your case. It's gone. It's gone. It's absolutely gone. Um, so that's quite interesting. I didn't know, you know. Weird. Um, I've learned a lot about the law from this film. Yeah. So the two henchmen, um, John Travolta's bro and his buddy, are the ones that get taken off to the motel and and they're like, you get to check out the merchandise and prove you're not a cop by sleeping with a prostitute, which is Robin Wright. Um, and they basically, John Travolta's brother draws the short straw and he gets sent off somewhere that again is inexplicable probably not enough money to pay for another room to in the motel don't know why um so then they go into the hotel room and it's the asian dude and robert ryan penn who robert wright sorry who is i assume meant to be kind of like smacked her on her head because she's all like scratchy and keeps touching her face and looks a bit looks a bit wild weird or whatever so she's trying to seduce him and he just keeps asking for orange juices to sort of (laughs) hold her off um where more than one more than one he has more than one orange juice um I actually read that um she was asked to um nudity in this film but declined Hence why um, she's I gracefully declined. I declined it off of. Uh, we're in the lingerie. Um, and basically this like textbook psycho with a shotgun and a Mac is secreted in a slatted, um, doored wardrobe, peeping out, waiting for his chance to shoot um, the Asian dude. Don't they do like an interesting shot here, which is a bit like Minority Report, where it's like above above the rooms, you're kind of flitting from room to room, but they're shooting above it, so they're kind of going across. I mean, it's obviously a studio or whatever, but going across the top. Yeah, so it's like cupboard, bedroom, bathroom. Yeah, but it's quite interesting doing that. Um, I'm thinking of the Minority Report shot where it's like you're following the... Uh, Spidery thing. Yeah, yeah. they're going to the different rooms. Um... So he's he's itching, he's got itchy trigger figure, can't wait to 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 kill this guy. And um basically it's like one of those race against time where and I'm I'm not really sure how it com- comes about, but they're basically like, Okay, I know we sent them off to have sex with a prostitute, but basically that was a bad call. So we're not gonna do that anymore. Um so the restaurant meeting goes a little bit awry. And um, the guy in the white suit ends up, who's the undercover policeman, ends up being shot in the leg. Right. I think by um, the guy who was the Riddler. And then it's basically just like a race against time to get to the motel room to save the Asian dude from the psycho in the wardrobe. And they make it. And that's about it, really. So, yeah, but there's a, there's a bit more to it. So they've saved, they've saved Robin Wright, 
And she gets back with the mum. Well, she gets her to hospital and have her comes to Jesus moment. Mm. Um, and be like, I don't want to see my mum. And then she, and then he goes to break the news to the mum and be like, she doesn't want to see you. Oh, but and she then runs out, doesn't she? He turns around and is like, oh, apparently she does. Um, <laughs> so that was strangely anticlimactic and unnecessary, but there we go. I, I promise that. Wasn't a joke. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't just doing this for laughs. She doesn't, she doesn't want to see you. I'm kidding. She does. Yeah, oh, my dear. Just messing. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's probably an appropriate time to do this, but yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, they they have their their hug moment where they're reunited, um, which I guess is meant to be like the big emotional payoff scene. Um, what did you think of Robin writing it? Um, yeah, she was all right. She was. She didn't really have to do that much. She was, you know, playing the the victim or whatever. She had to look kind of outward face and a bit stoned. But she, you know, she held her own with like I keep calling him the Riddler guy, Walsh or whatever is the character's name was. There was that one bit where he's like all creeping on her and all this stuff, and that's something which, you know, if it's a lesser actress, you wouldn't be able. It would feel. He, he, he kind of comes across as like really icky and horrible and sleazy. Yeah, you literally just be like, Bleh. don't even say my name him. Yeah, and that's him. But a lot of it is also that's her because you're kind of getting across that she, you know, the whole point of it is that she's kind of in this situation. She's addicted to heroin and all this stuff. So um, yeah, uh, she was she was good. I mean, like you think that's her first feature film, um, but yeah, again, she just didn't really get enough screen time to actually do too much no she looked fantastic yeah but that's not that's not the end of the film though is it well it's the end of a film within the film well it's not well it's the end of that storyline yeah one of the films but the final thing is um the asian guy dresses up as santa oh, shit, and they're yeah, like what are you about talking that? about it's july and he's like so and then he Pros- walks... Prostitutes love Santa, famously. Yeah, and then he just walks down the thing and all these prostitutes, like, come to him. And find a great excuse to make puns about sitting on his lap and... Yeah, and all this stuff, and he's like... Wearing his hat or whatever. Yeah, and then that's how he's, you know, reeling them in. And that's how it ends, on a nice little, you know, after the emotional story of a girl running to Hollywood and getting involved in drugs and prostitution... Ends on Santa being surrounded by prostitutes, and it's all a bit fun, really. Which is, you know, yeah. But they they nice. turn they turn on him and beat him up. Do they? I don't remember that. Yeah. They beat him up. Yeah. They don't beat him up. They, do they chase like, him or something. They do don't they? Like a gang of them. I don't know what his plan was. He's vastly oh, outnumbered by a, a gang of much more streetwise ladies and he's dressed as an idiot and... I don't know what he was trying to what was the yeah was what's he trying the to get end goal here yeah that was quite a weird one you're gonna go come on you all admitted you wanted to have sex with Santa yeah. get in the car you're going down the precinct or whatever yeah I suppose that's what it's kind of leading up to um so yeah overall, overall what did you think overall I thought it was really strange um it wasn't like a proper film it was basically like someone had taken three scripts and just dropped them on the floor and shuffled the pages together. And it's like, oh, fuck, this is a film we're making. Oh, this doesn't make any sense. Whatever, who cares? 
Um, it, yeah, no one had any very, no one had very clear motivations. Things escalated immediately so much that so that they made absolutely no sense whatsoever. Um, I was constantly waiting for like, oh, okay, I'm sure they're going to like bring this all together somehow because they don't seem to care whether or not it makes sense. So it's going to happen. It doesn't. Um, I feel like if you have Carrie Fisher, she was like chronically underused, um, which seems like a massive miss. And they also had way too many characters and you know, should have just stuck to developing the kind of core ones that you were actually most interested in watching. Um, but yeah, what do you reckon? Yeah, I quite liked, um, to be honest, it wasn't as bad as what I th- I thought it would be. Um, it was more that I just couldn't uh, keep track of what was happening where and with who and how it, was inter- you know, how it intersected with one another. It was... Um, there were some bits which I did like. I liked the Lionel Richie guy. I don't really even know why. He was just he was quite weirdly funny and smooth. Yeah, it's like um, Lando. <laughs> he was a bit, yeah. And, um, you know, in terms of a bit charming, or there was one point where he brings out one of um, Walsh's prostitutes round, and this is to give the message back to Walsh or whatever, and she, like, drops off all her clothes or whatever, and he goes, like, Tasty. Tasty. Now put your clothes back on. What? You heard me, baby. I'm not here to buy what you think. <laughs> and something like, but not tasty enough or something weird. And she's like, what are you talking about? I want you to give a message to your boss. It's like, oh my gosh, it's such a stupid way of doing it. But um, him as a character was, was quite cool. Um, but yeah, there was just way too much going on. I liked the Bronson guy. Um, and I felt like, that, you know, if they'd done a bit more with those characters that could have been quite funny but it was just so weird there was just so much in there and it just tonally all over the place plot all over the place it didn't look that great there were some shots yeah as we discussed that were yeah there's a lot of booming yeah um and yeah like acting wise like you know there's been worse at least you know you've heard and seen these people before but that was um, almost what was bad about it, in that it wasn't bad enough to be enjoyable on its, like, awful terms. And that's almost why it was so confusing, because it was like they were playing it for... They were playing it straight. And was like, you, You've read this, right? You know this makes absolutely no sense, and it's ridiculously shallow and tonally jumps around everywhere. Um, and that's, I think, why you couldn't really get into it and enjoy it on a kind of B-movie basis. Mm. Um, it's weird how, like, literally four or five years later, she made Wayne's World, which is a really good film. And it's also, like, strangely... Um, I mean, I have to go back and watch it again, but is very simple plot-wise and is, you know, I know it's played for laughs and Saturday Night Live and all this stuff, but um, I don't know how she got that gig from something like this. I think she was she did something on Saturday Night Live previously and uh, got in with Lorne Michaels and blah blah there you blah. Go. If you know Lorne. Um, yeah. And then but I read an article in Vanity Fair which was saying how she basically struggled to get work again after Wayne's World. Not after Little Rascals and Beverly Hillbillies. 
<laughs> Maybe I'm not counting those. So that's it, really. Uh, would you recommend it to anyone? No. Hollywood Vice Squad? Absolutely not, no. Um, the, there's better B-movies. There's better films about that era. There's better films about Vice. Um <laughs> So there's not really any major selling points for me. Yeah, I think there are better B-movies out there as well. Um, But, yeah, never mind. It's a good try. Poor old Carrie Fisher. Poor old Carrie Fisher. She's looking good in it, though. She looks great. Absolutely fantastic. Yeah. When I read that she'd just come out of rehab, I was like, I think that's the The best best I've seen her look. She looks fantastic. Didn't last long, probably. Um, so, yeah. So that's it. So that was uh, Hollywood Vice Squad. Um, we watched it on Amazon Prime, um, and you can as well, I imagine, if you if you have that. Uh, not sure about the US, but in the UK anyway. Um, so as always, you can follow us um, at A New Winter on Twitter. Uh, we've got an Instagram now, at A New Winter, on there as well. Um, but if you go to our Patreon page, uh, which is patreon.com slash newwinter, um, you can see the different tiers and uh, sign up to some premium podcast stuff and uh, yeah, take a look. Uh, so thanks for listening guys and see you next time. Goodbye. Goodbye. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.